But it creates a community and that community, those relationships can get very deep. And that's kind of the magic of the podcasting world. Podcast Junkies, episode 125. Welcome back. My name is Harry Duran, host of the weekly Podcast Junkies show, conversations with amazing self-starters, podcasters, hosts, great people, Zen, <laughs> Zen podcast hosts, um, and just all around inspiring people who decided to start a show or who are involved in the podcasting space and um, they're just people that I need to talk to and that I need to get in front of you and need for you to meet because I think they're doing awesome things and I've been doing this for three years now and it shows no sign of stopping. I've had a couple of people reach out um, to be on the show so I'm going to set aside some time every week to start going through those and listening to some shows. I do want to do my homework and uh, make sure I'm getting people here that are the right fit for you, my audience, and for me so that I have fun while I'm doing it. In case you missed last week's Super Zen episode, that's what the Zen comment was about. It was with Angel Jones of the 12-Minute Conversation podcast, the 12-Minute Combos. He's at a, based out of Trinidad. Um, we connected on his show, Met at Podfest, and I knew immediately he needed to be on my show. Really, really inspiring conversation. I highly recommend you check it out if you want to have a fantastic <laughs> Zen uh, inspiring day. He's uh, just his voice is so soothing, and it's a real mix between the one I had previous to that with uh, Jeanette and Alex Ruiz of Planted in Miami. So uh, check that out. That's episode one twenty four. Uh, this week I speak to Tina Tina Dietz. Uh, we met at PodFest. She was helping the team organize what ended up being a kick-ass event. She's got a mission of of uh, igniting 10,000 thriving businesses, and she's well on her way. Super smart cookie. Uh, I was really ins inspired by her because I, there was a lot that I didn't know uh, about her uh, with her training and the fact that she, it, it's, it wasn't surprising when I realized that... Uh, she was handed a tape recorder and a microphone when she was two years old, and uh, apparently the first thing she did was interview people. <laughs> so that just sort of tells you what's your, what you're in for. So I'm really excited for you to check that out. This episode is sponsored by Podbean. Uh, really, really uh, drop-dead easy plans for you to get started with your podcast. Head on over to podbean.com slash podcastjunkies. Plans starting as low as $3 and $9 for the unlimited plan. And if you are a company looking to start a podcast, um, they've got a great plan, enterprise plan for you to get started as well. So please check them out. This episode is being recorded on Shure Equipment, S-H-U-R-E, pioneers in the microphone game along with other tech, but more specifically for me, um, great headphones that I love. Uh, I didn't realize headphones could be sexy, by the way. But I got these Shores uh, SRH 840s. <laughs> when I put them on, I was like, whoa, this is what it's supposed to, like high-end equipment is supposed to be like. Um, so yeah, 
They, they do a great job of supporting the show. Please, that's just one piece of it. If you want to see the full line of equipment, head on over to uh, shore. Dot, uh, podcastjunkies.com slash shore. S-H-U-R-E, and you can see what I'm currently using as well as some details on their Motive line, M-O-T-I-V, some really um, nice equipment for recording on location. Um, the Motive line is, is really, and some uh, lavalier mics as well that are really interesting. So I think you'll find something that you like if you check that out. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for the podcast retention hashtag. Saw a lot of people having fun with uh, with it last week. Let's see how many people can get listening to it. If you don't know what it is, you're going to have to listen to the end of the episode. But it's a little way that I find out who's uh, been listening to the end and who's a ardent supporter of this show. Glad to be back on track. Glad to have uh, so many, so many good conversations in the can. So without further ado, let's listen to Tina. So your last name is Dietz or... Deets. Deets. Deets like beats. Deets like beats. <laughs> like unts. <laughs> I might have to use that in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Tina Deets, thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Well, glad to be here. How's the uh, the post-conference high after PodFest for you? Oh, podcast is... Oh, man, I love going to podcasting conferences because... I spent a lot of time in the business world uh, talking with folks, you know, businessy business people and podcasting conferences are just so cool because the diversity of people who show up there and just what unites everybody is podcasting. So, you know, someone's talking about horses, someone's talking about trivia, someone's talking about business, doesn't matter. We're all can't shut up about podcasting. So it, I love I love that. I love that. And it's the the conversations that go on are just amazing. So I love, you know, and obviously that spills over. The Facebook groups have been just nonstop ever since then. And the premiere actually of the official premiere of the Messengers documentary was last night in Tampa. Yes. So I saw cool. uh, John Dennis uh, posting about that and he was doing some uh, live Instagram about it as well. That must have been super exciting. Did you get uh, to go? No, you know, it was one of those things. I was the lead interviewer for uh, a lot of the interviews of the podcasters who were in the documentary, which was just so awesome to be a part of. But I did not actually get up to Tampa last night. It was a little too far for me to get uh, last minute. What I, uh, For the benefit of the listener, The Messengers is a new documentary that's um, coming out, and it's uh, about the life of podcasters. And, and I, we got to see it at PodFest, obviously, and it, and it premiered. Uh, as you mentioned yesterday. And I think what's fascinating is that it's shining a light on this world that a lot of people may have heard about. And I think they associate it when they think of podcasters, maybe with the NPR style. But I'm wondering if you could speak to what your experience was having been in the documentary and then just seeing these podcasters who are just normal everyday people. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, well, again, it's so many of the same things were said by so many different people in so many different ways. So I think I interviewed maybe 40 different podcasters, um, you know, Dave Jackson, Danny Pena, like, oh God, so many people, um, Khadija, Katie Kremitzos. Uh, and the common theme that united everyone, um, and they decided to go ahead and put this in the documentary because it was so pervasive in all the conversations, was the ability of podcasting to create intimacy 
in the community and intimacy between the host and the audience. And not there's really not another medium that does that. There's something about having somebody directly in your ear, because what is it, like 85% of podcasts are listened to with earbuds in, something yep. like that, yep. that it really does make you feel like the person is right there with you and that you know them in a certain way. And I remember uh, Daryl Darnell was talking about the show he had had for fans of the show. I think it was Lost, fans of the show Lost, very popular show he had, and how the community, they had this robust discussion form around the show but then things would happen and the community would rally around their members like i guess um this one particular listener who was a mom lost both of her children within a year to a very rare disease and the community supported her they and they all sent her these like white tulips which i guess was a thing um on this the show and it, it was just beautiful and you know daryl was kind of he doesn't like me to tell us, but he was crying. And uh, and it was a beautiful moment to hear just, you think about, oh, it's about a television show. It's light. It doesn't mean anything. But it creates a community. And that community, those relationships can get very deep. And that's kind of the magic of the podcasting world. What I've seen as a common thread, and, and having had the privilege of speaking to probably over 115 podcasters at this point, mm -hmm. is, that, is that no matter what the the topic of their podcast is there's always that moment that guest that episode where uh, they do an outreach or they just delve into a conversation that wasn't expected and it has that same sort of impact that you were alluding to tina that uh, that heartfelt connection yeah or it's or, exactly. it's or it's maybe a listener that calls in or, or or writes something to them about something that they mentioned um that touched them in a special way because when you record enough episodes, you tend to uh, be comfortable enough behind the microphone to start divulging personal aspects of your life, and you sort of build, <laughs> build, build, you know, build this out, and regular listeners start to get to know you really, really well. Yes, exactly, and uh, you know that in some of the podcasting circles, we talk about you know how much is how much is TMI, you know, wh where's the overshare button on on some of that. But my, I think most of us tend to err on the side of, yeah, I'll just say it and see what happens. You know, <laughs> well, well, I mean, you you have a, a a background as a therapist, and I'm wondering, mm -hmm. have you? Is it something that you've noticed that has been interesting to see because you have that background? That sometimes podcasters, um, they do it. It is therapy, you know, either for the podcaster themselves or even for the the listeners because they, they they need to have that refuge on a, on a week in week out basis. I yeah, I think there's a couple of, I guess I'll call it therapeutic effects, or in the world of of uh, therapeutic effects ar around podcasting. And one is that human beings are wired to be, you know, in groups. We're not really wired to be alone. And so even when we're feeling lonely, if you've got a show that makes you feel connected, that is highly therapeutic. Um, and then if you've got a community to go to through that common interest that has you feel connected, valued, listen to that could really be a lifeline for people um and i i know other podcasters it hasn't happened to me personally but I've, you know i had other podcasters who listeners who've reached out to them and said you know i was thinking about hurting myself or i was thinking about doing something stupid or whatever and i listened to your show and it just kind of gave me enough to feel like okay no we're not going to do that 
it's okay. And so it's that human connection that runs so deep in so many ways. And, and <laughs> I actually have had guests on because a lot of the questions that I've asked at the Start Something show are centered around, you know, what have been your biggest failures or how far back does this stretch for you? Because, you know, in the world of business, we hear a lot of the success stories you know, and it's really a matter of that 10 year or 20 year overnight success. It's ironic, right? Uh, and the, the, a lot of the folks that I talk with who are highly successful are also have overcome or even still deal with on a chronic basis, major, major things. So getting an opportunity to talk about that and not having to have your superhero cape on all the time is also therapeutic in a way and being able to pull back the curtain on what we do. Was that part of the impetus for you for starting the show? And has the idea of why you started it changed uh, as the show has progressed? Oh, it's it's definitely changed. The show has progressed. I mean, my impetus for starting a show was I've always wanted a show. Uh, I mean, I, I even talk from podcasting stages and online about how my favorite thing, my first love growing up, first my first love was books and my second love was my tape recorder. And that's what I used to do. I used I have memories, very strong memories of being three years old, sitting on the kitchen floor in the house I grew up in, trying to improve upon nursery rhymes and re-recording nursery rhymes in different ways because I was irritated that no one had come to the aid of Humpty Dumpty before he fell off the wall. And I really didn't understand the connection of why Little Miss Muffet was eating cottage cheese to begin with. If it was hot outside, that doesn't make any sense. And what's with the spider liking cottage cheese? I don't get it. So I was trying to make sense of my own world through through these things and re-recording uh, the stories as I thought that they should be. So for me, it was it was a homecoming and it was it felt kind of risky to step back into launching a show because there's a lot that goes into it. You know, you know, you produce shows. I produce shows for other people and there's so much that goes into it. So there's that investment, but there's also the exposure and getting comfortable with the idea of your voice being out there and being judged by other people. Will they like it? Will they not like it? Will they, you know, all, all of that. So you have to kind of be willing to step outside of your comfort zone and do that. But my show, um, you know, I didn't even think that I was going to have a second season of my show, which is coming out shortly. And it, it ended up just being an odd set of circumstances. Um, and, and I, I've kind of gotten addicted. Like I can't stop thinking of new show ideas. So I think that's very common. Would you say? Totally. I think, yeah, <laughs> well, it's not yet. Uh, and it's obviously ways to make your show better, but there's always like this, I should start a new podcast on this topic. Mm -hmm. But then you quickly realize how much work is involved <laughs> and how much um, how much w would be necessary for you to do it the right way and to implement all the lessons you've learned. You know, I've been doing it for three years and I'm like, oh, there's all these things I would do differently if I were to launch a new show now. So, you know, we think of that and we want to sort of launch anything we would do new, we would want to do it to the best of our abilities. And I don't know how much of a perfectionist you are, but I tend to get a little OCD with stuff. So I was like, oh man, I want to wait for the right moment, which is what we coach people to do, right? Like not wait for the right moment when it comes to launching a podcast. So there's just kind of like uh, push and pull there. I, I like to describe myself as a lazy perfectionist. I want it to be perfect, but at the end of the day, I really can't bother with it being perfect because otherwise I know it'll never get done. Yeah. So, uh, I, I try to allow my 
my curiosity to see how it's going to turn out to be stronger than my desire to have it be perfect. (laughs) And that works out pretty well most of the time. Do you have any of those early recordings still available? I'd, I'd be fa- I do. I'd be, you do? <laughs> I do. Have they been released to the public? They have not. As a matter of fact, I was just reviewing one the, the other day because I, I was actually thinking about putting a clip of one of them into my uh, talk from the stage at PodFest, and I didn't quite get that far. But I actually have a recording. Um, my My mom, I was very grateful to her. She found the old cassette tapes, and she had them transitioned onto disc and under digital format so i actually have the moment that somebody put the microphone in my hand for the first time and what i did which was two things one was they couldn't get it out of my hand so there's this whole recording of me saying no no i hold it i hold it i hold it no no i hold it and (laughs) the other part of it is me walking around asking uh, what's your name my name's Tina. What's your name? And I'm like interviewing everybody immediately. And I was actually just shy of two years old. The date it's date stamped on there. So I'm like, okay, it was actually getting this recording from my mom, uh, on my 40th birthday, a couple of years ago that had me go, okay, Tina, shut up and launch the damn show. Yeah. Yeah. You've been doing this really since you were two, just do it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. A lot of people say, "Look, I it's in, it's in my blood. I've been doing this since as early as I can remember." But I don't think that there's anyone that that can say that they're doing it earlier <laughs> than you were. <laughs> I'm an overachiever. Oh, I'm fascinated by this uh, familiarity that you had, at, and I'm wondering is I don't even know if you could speak to it, but like, were you seeing something on TV? Like, why? How do you know like what to do when a microphone is placed in your hand? I don't know. The The family story says that I came out of the womb thoroughly believing that any flat raised surface was a stage. That's just kind of how I am and how I'm wired. I, I'm pretty happy anytime a microphone is involved. And it has always been that way for me. I can't remember a time where it wasn't. It feels, it feels like my natural habitat. You know, so that so makes the, me happy. Does that translate to not having any stage fright and, and, and just being having that confidence being portrayed when you started doing that as well? You know, I don't necessarily get stage fright, but I do get performance anxiety. Like ahead of time, I'll have that kind of dramatic crisis of not so much with podcasting because that's, you know, my space and it's, you know, speaking behind the mic and a computer and everything. That's, that's to me talking with friends. That's talking with my audience. That's that is that intimacy that feels safe. Same with webinars and things like that. Speaking from a stage, however, I do get some performance anxiety because I so deeply want it to be good for the audience. There's that commitment. And usually what we freak out about the most is what we're most deeply committed to. Mm. So it, you know, the more you're committed to something, sometimes the more you freak out about it, which, hey, you can look at it as a positive uh, if when you look at it that way. Um, but I, you know, also coming from a therapeutic background uh, and I, I, I have tools, <laughs> I have tools and tricks to manage that. And usually you know, once I hit the stage, I'm fine because that's the moment where you connect with people and you just say, oh, well, they're just like me. I'm just like them. And we're just here to have a conversation. Can you uh, tease that out a little bit more, this idea of freaking out of something we're most committed to? I'm, I'm fascinated by that idea. Yeah. Well, actually, on the when I'm working with business coaching clients, one of the first things I teach them is a process I call ranting, 
which is how to use your complaints and your upsets to actually get to creatively and quickly solving the issues that you're dealing with. And it starts with this whole idea that we're so trained to kind of bury our to bury our bitching in in inside of this world of positive um positive thinking and affirmations and law of attraction and all that's fine and well and good, right? I'm actually pretty super woo-woo when it comes to that kind of stuff. And when we try to suppress all of that, it just grows. So it's it's kind of the same phenomenon when you're, let's say you're driving in the car and you're thinking about having a conversation with somebody that you're not looking forward to. And by the time you get to your destination, you've already worked yourself up over a conversation did not actually happen in reality. Yeah. Right? We're we're just our the way our wiring works and the way our emotions work, we don't actually need reality to get worked up about something. It it's optional. Reality is optional. So when we look at, you know, what we're most deeply committed to, our brains really work on that. It's like, well, what happens if we do this? Or what happens if we do that? And what about this scenario? And we want it all worked out because it's so important to us. And that's where we tend to spiral ourselves into anxiety. And I could talk about, you know, the amygdala and the hippocampus and all those fun brain things because I'm a brain nerd. Um, But really what it comes down to is that's what causes the freak out. So if you can interrupt that, by bringing either humor to it, lightness to it, or logic to it, that's where you can kind of interrupt. It's almost like breaking a circuit, electrical circuit. Mm-hmm. And um, in psychology, we'd say, you know, you're interrupting the gestalt or you're completing the gestalt and depending on the scenario you're working on. And I found that letting people intensify the concern or the complaint by this, by actually ranting about it for a couple of minutes, like full out, go for it, ranting, no more than three minutes with the intention of being able to solve the problem at the end of it, discharges something and completes something that then we feel heard, we feel like it's okay, and then we can actually move on to creating some options or creating some solutions that then feel good. Yeah, it seems like so many times um, we're asked to repress that or we don't have mm-hmm. an outlet to release it. And like anything else that's pressure related, like the more that builds up, um, it's going to lead to an explosion. And if, if it's not controlled, it's inevitably going to come out at the in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's going to have the, the an undesired effect as opposed to something that, that what you're doing is guiding folks through a process of saying the release is a good thing. And mm-hmm. le- but let's control it, and but and let let's contain it, and and have a fixed period of time and guide it. Yeah, yeah guide exactly. It. Sometimes you give people this opening to say rant, and then you're like, oh, what did I just do? Because <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> How long have they been keeping this in? Because all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't really know that that was inside of you. Exactly, exactly, and and that's and that's not good for anybody. That kind of that kind of repression, you know, even. And this is something I've also tried to teach my kids. So a really simple way to do this without getting into the whole like ranting thing. Um, My daughter, much like myself, is um, professionally indignant at times. Like we could really like get into our own like righteousness about things, get on our soapbox, which is much cuter in a 10 year old than it is in a in me. So she came in the one day and something had happened on the bus and she was just incensed about it. 
but she didn't really want to get into the details. Like it was just, didn't want to think about it anymore. So I said, why don't you go into the backyard? And I, and I said, you just stand with your feet kind of apart and throw your arms in the air and as loud as you can, just yell, why? And then see how you feel. And she's like, mom, that's ridiculous. And I said, yeah. I said, well, try it or don't. It's up to you. And she kind of went off in a huff. Huffing is also professionally huffing. Uh, and a few, but a few minutes later, I heard the back door open and I hear kind of this deep sigh. And then all of a sudden really loud, why? And then she, she comes skipping back in the house and she looks at me and she goes, wow, that really worked. And then she went skipping back off again. Wow. <laughs> It was the, I've actually done that in large groups of people, which is hilarious oh and also very useful for bringing together a room. So um, if you're ever feeling really frustrated and you're in your car or your backyard or whatever, don't recommend it in a crowd unless you uh, they really know what's going on. <laughs> but, or if you have thin walls and you're in or your, if you have thin your... walls in an apartment. But, hey, you know, shake up your neighbors a little bit. They'll be OK. It's all right. Um, and, uh, you know, discharge a little energy to, so that you can move on to the next thing. When's the last time uh, you did that yourself? Oh, probably a week ago. <laughs> I think it's uh, important to realize that, uh, I, I mean, I personally feel like I'm, I'm always trying to look for ways to improve myself and realizing that every tool that I've learned and, and I continue to learn from people that have been there before and, and even what you're saying now is something like, well, where, where can I put that in, into, into use? Um, and having this mindset of, of just being the eternal student, I think is really important. I agree. Beginner's mind. Mm. So um, I'm wondering with all the conversations you had, has, has there, has there been, uh, can you tell a story of maybe a, a one or two where you were surprised by the, 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 the path that the conversation took or, or something that you learned after the fact that you, you really didn't think um, was somewhere you'd go at, at the beginning? Well, there's a couple of things that, that come to mind. Um, when I first started recording, I was very grateful and, and also very surprised at the couple of people who first came onto my show. And, and this is when... Uh, those of us in podcasting, we're still really in the realm of kind of, um, as it's sometimes called, and I think um, Jared Easley wrote a book, you know, Stop Chasing Influencers. Well, there was a time where we were chasing influencers. And a lot of the folks that are my colleagues and friends and all that are in this world of being thought leaders and influencers. That's just, you know, kind of how we roll. And I had reached out to see if for the premiere of my show, the first couple of episodes, if I could launch with some quote unquote big names. Mm -hmm. And I was really fortunate um, to have on Dr. John Martini and Marcy Scheimoff, both of whom are in the secret um, and are worldwide speakers and bestsellers and all that good stuff. And uh, Thomas Baylor. And I didn't know Thomas at the time, but after a conversation with him, I really fell deeply in love with this man. He's an extraordinary human being. And Thomas was, um, he was on the Smothers Brothers show. Oh, wow. He was, um, he was one of the executive producers for the song, We Are the World. He worked with Michael Jackson and Cher and um, Sinatra and on and on, Billy Joel and just on and on. And I mean, the man has done, he was a creative director for Radio City Music Hall. I mean, just uh, unbelievable. One of the most warm and kind human beings I've ever met. And so here I am, my first three interviews are these three people. Wow. 
And at the time I was living in Costa Rica, which is a whole other story. I split time between the U.S. and Costa Rica. And in my closet, talking to these folks, I got to the end of my conversation with Marcy, who is so delightful. And she says to me, she goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She goes, well, you've obviously been doing this for such a long time. You're one of the best interviewers I've ever been on with. You know, I do a lot of shows. Do you have any tips for me for being better at, you know, getting interviewed? I feel like I'm getting a little stale. And my, I was just, uh, uh, uh it was just this crazy moment. I'm like, I guess I did okay. You know, this little voice in my head. Yeah. And I told her, I said, Marcy, you're my second interview for a podcast ever. <laughs> She no, and you know we laughed and chatted about it, but she really, you know, um, wanted some feedback, and then so that really was not an expected conversation. And then um, the some of the stories that Thomas told, and the depths of the stories that he told about uh, his relationship with Karen Carpenter, he was engaged to her. Oh wow! And the lives of these celebrities, you know, I've always kind of wondered. I knew it was difficult for people to be famous. But to hear it from his perspective and his conversations with Michael Jackson and with Karen Carpenter and Diana Ross and these folks and, and to hear what he had to say about what their lives were like and this deep and abiding desire. At one point, I guess Michael said to him something about, I just want to go to the grocery store. And, you know, and he couldn't. I mean, th I thought about that. and I was like, wow, what if I couldn't step outside my house yeah. without being mobbed? I mean, that's. And it gave me a whole other perspective on why it's so difficult for some of these folks to just live normal lives with the amount of judgment and the amount of restriction they actually have on their lives. There's a huge price to pay. I suddenly be, had a much less of a desire to become famous. Uh, that That's for sure. Yeah. So, it, yeah, um, just learning things. It's always, you know, you know, you learn from every guest. You know, it's always different and it's always fascinating to get into the humanity of what people are up to. I think what's important is to realize that you have this platform and, and to really be open to understanding that the, the, the potential for those types of conversations are there if you're consistent. Like I, I know that happened for you early on, but I've had experiences recently where I've just had amazing conversations with people that I've gotten to know really, really well, just by virtue of being able to interview them for about an hour. And some of them have developed into lifelong friendships. And every time I have these ups and downs where I think, do I want to continue the podcast? It's a lot of work. And is it is it worth my time? Just having that ability to forge these connections and occasionally like, you know, dive deep like you did there um, and walk away saying, wow, like, I'm, I just feel like I'm, I'm a, a, a better person or just my life is more enriched as a result of the conversation I just had. I think it's something that helps um, keep us going. And I think it's just you know, sort of like advice to new podcasters as well. Like if, if you really feel passionate about what you're doing and your subject matter and your ability to connect and meet with people of that caliber, there's an audience for that. And there's people that want to hear those stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there is a place. I mean, we're made of stories. That's We're always telling stories. We're always making stuff up. That's what humans do. So I don't know. I, I think there's nothing that connects us worldwide regardless of culture or age whatever creed you name it it's stories that's it do you find uh in in the people that you work with that there's a, a mindset in terms of what they think uh they can do 
Um, and whether it's podcasting or anything you're doing from um, an entrepreneurial front, like mm -hmm. there, there's this there's this mental hurdle. I feel like sometimes they need to to get over as to like, oh, I don't ever see myself like getting to that point or achieving that type of success. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the three, I focus on three main areas because my abiding love of things is to get things started and get them launched out into the world. So I help people launch businesses, I help people launch podcasts, and I help people launch audiobooks. Those are kind of my three main shtick right there. So when I'm working with folks, and usually people uh, on the audiobook and podcasting side of things, usually people are fairly well established in their business. And at that, but still at this point, there's this, I can usually tell by how much anxiety they have, by how many questions they ask. Mm. If there's kind of an unending stream of questions, I will usually stop and back up, put, and actually kind of sideways put on my therapist hat and say, okay, I hear and hear that there, you have some really concerns about this. Let's take a step back from the technical for a moment and let's really address like, what are you concerned will happen if you do or do not launch your podcast? It's very Yoda, right? Do yeah. or do not. Um, and that usually kind of, again, kind of breaks that cycle of, well, what about this? And what about that? What about this? What about that's That's very squirrel brain, right? And getting back to actually addressing their underlying concern is, is going to be way more effective to, to help people. Um, and it usually comes down to some sort of fear around making the wrong decision. That's what most of us are afraid of making the wrong decision. Right. And we don't even know what a wrong decision actually will mean for us. Like most of us have to go a pretty far stretch and make a lot of really horrible decisions before something truly bad happens, yeah. right? I had a coach who used to tell me, Tina, you're a lot of steps away from a cardboard box. So I always think about that. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was great. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Um, and, and uh, but on the other hand, somebody who's just starting a business, they're, you know, they're going part-time to full-time or they're a professional stepping off into their own business, they have just the same concerns and fears and anxieties as someone who is well-established in business. It's just same, same, but different. Yeah, and I imagine um, a lot of it is coaching them through and, and sort of bringing out the the abilities that they have inherent in them and, and just maybe yes. they just don't have the confidence in themselves to realize that they, that they do have the capacity to do something like that. Yeah, a lot of it's normalizing it. Just, you know, they think that they're weird for feeling a certain way or they mm. think that they shouldn't feel a certain way. And working, you know, as as a coach, you know, one of the things I do the most is to normalize the situation for them so that they feel like, oh, I'm not way off in left field. This is actually okay. It's actually... Um, as Dr. John D. Martini says, things are not in your way, they are on the way. Hmm. And I hope that's a powerful context to put things in. Yeah. So if you, people can feel like it's on the way, not in their way, then they have a much easier time being with whatever challenges in their face at the time and making a decision more strategically or out of curiosity or out of possibility rather than making choices out of fear. Because we make very different choices out of fear than we do out of uh, other states of being. Tina, what do you do for people that can spend that 
initial time with you, they get this fantastic advice and they feel like supercharged, motivated. Oh my God, thank you for talking me through this and thank you for supporting <laughs> me. I'm ready to go forward and conquer the world. But a lot of times, like, you know, three months later, they're just, they lose the steam. And, and, and is, is there some best practices or things you can instill so that next time it's not as hard to get them mm -hmm. to that level? Yeah, because, and this is one of the reasons why I don't have the style of business that is what I call a guru on the mountain business. It's not where you climb up once, you ask your three questions, and then you leave. I, I, I find it so highly ineffective to work with people that way because any lasting change takes practice. So even if you, you know, and, and this happens on like weekend workshops and things like that, which I love, like I love training and development. I've been in this world for so many years and, and but you go and you get all filled up at a two or three day workshop and then you come home and it's like, oh, ah, implementing. And then you find that stack of business cards eight months later and go, oh, crap. So the success and the, and the juice is actually in the parts that a lot of people find boring, which is in building habits, mm -hmm. building a tribe, um, building accountability structures, and um, building a plan of some kind. Now, I don't, I'm not a big fan of traditional business plans. There's a place and time for them, but for most people doing any kind of project or any kind of entrepreneurial venture, having a very succinct two to three page strategic vision plan is what we need because that's what connects where you are in the moment to what you want to create in the future. That's what we need. Mm -hmm. right, that's what our brains need. We need to know that that bridge is actually there because we can often see what we want to create and we know where we are now. It's the middle that gets a little fuzzy. Yeah. So if we could create the middle, then the brain can calm down and you can focus just on the tax at tasks. Uh, ooh, sibilance. <laughs> um, uh, we can just focus on that because then you're not automatically getting into that squirrel brain of a what if, what if, what if, what if, because here it is. Here's the possible path we can actually start to do stuff on. And you can see how these small actions you might be taking now actually are connected to that big vision you might have in the future. It's funny, this idea of business plans. I remember when, you know, get just getting into these entrepreneurial ideas, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you would, they would tell you, build Write your business plan, and I remember Business Plan Pro, that software. <laughs> oh, oh, shudder, shudder. You spend more time building the business plan than actually building your business. <laughs> yes, exactly. And by the time it's done, it's like out, it's outdated. Like it doesn't, like it doesn't. It doesn't even roll in it anymore, <laughs> right? I always, I always describe them as sitting on your shelf and looking at you. <laughs> yeah. You know, they just sit there and look. Those those plans are looking at you like, did you ever get this done? They're a very judgmental document. That's why I don't like them. I don't like documents that judge me back. Or those uh, business cards on your desk sitting, staring at you like, okay, you got them made. Well, like, do you have a, and you're like, I have a business. I have a, I've incorporated. I, I think the one thing I laugh about is the, um, the small business administrations. They had a checklist one time of like how to start a business. And it was, mm -hmm. like, it was like incorporate, uh, get business cards, uh, get a website, uh, write a business plan. And I'm like, where, where's wait a minute, where's the actual business in all of this? I'm like, at some point you need to actually like sell something to somebody. Have an idea, <laughs> develop it, yeah. see if people actually want it. Yeah. yeah those kinds of things. So when oh, I, that's funny. Um, 
I'm fascinated about the, about this job that you had when you were you were doing business development for the uh, Nayada Institute of Massage. Can you just talk briefly about what that was like? Oh, cool. The Nayada Institute of Massage is actually a family business. I founded it with my father, who is a brilliant massage therapist. And uh, like it, my dad is actually the the most idea eest idea person I have ever met in my entire life, which makes him brilliant and also infuriating at the same time. If you've ever been around someone like this, who just is an idea machine. And so um, he was teaching continuing education to massage therapists and in the process kept inventing new massage moves to help massage therapists work more effectively So being kind of an academic myself, uh, I was working with him to help bring his work online because, you know, he had owned a computer for five years and finally looked at me and said, where's this enter button you keep talking about? (laughs) Okay, so that's (laughs) that's the level of technology we're talking about here. And uh, so I was bringing his work online and showing him some different ways to scale his work. So, for example, we were developing DVDs. That's actually where I got much more into voiceover work was developing all those DVDs for that company and then diving into being more trained as a voice actor, which then got me trained as a audiobook narrator, which then led to me becoming an audiobook publisher mm. and developing a tribe of other narrators who now work for me. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. That's how these things all connect together. But the Nayada Institute uh, became an international training company for massage therapists. And I finally looked at my dad the one day. I said, I think you've invented a new massage modality. He's like, no, I haven't. I said, no, I think you have. So we worked on it, and true, he did. So we were able to make all the criteria uh, of a massage modality, and I believe he did trademark it. Um, so it's called Body Saver Massage, and it's designed to increase the longevity of a massage therapist's career because most massage therapists burn out after about five to seven years yeah. uh, due to injury or due not to not being able to make enough money. And this modality addresses both of those things by letting the massage therapist work more deeply, which most clients want, and more effectively without hurting their bodies. It's funny. It's good stuff. Yeah, it sounds like great stuff. And it just makes me more cognizant of how I'm sitting in my chair right now. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? Oh, you're thinking, I need a massage. I do. It's a long overdue. So uh, a couple more questions as we wrap up. Um, What's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? (laughs) <laughs> today uh let's see <laughs> oh man um actually i did change my mind about something recently actually when i um was speaking at podfest i was experimenting with starting a membership group for people who are already podcasting and one of the reasons one of, i experiment a lot with with different ideas myself So I thought that this was going to be a good idea, and um, I had a lot of interest in the program. And then as I started laying out what it was actually going to take in terms of resources, time, and also return on investment and all of that, I started really questioning it. And this is where relationships really come into play, because I was having a conversation with Jessica Kupferman from She Podcasts, and here's, here's the difference between a good colleague and a great colleague. A a good colleague will support you. A great colleague will support you and kick your ass. Yeah. And the, and Jessica is a great colleague. And I'm, 
I like to think that I am the same for her. So we were kicking each other's asses in the conversation, but lovingly, benevolently. And she said, do you really, is that what you want to be? Is it your dream to run, uh, to have a really large group of people, you know, in this kind of membership program? I was like, no, I really love working with people one-on-one. That's my sweet spot. I get, we produce such incredible results and people's lives change. And I want to be part of that transformation and those results. That's what really gives me juice. And she said, well, why don't you just not torture yourself then? And it was, and it's really that simple. It's, it's actually somebody, you know, who knows us well, giving us permission to, you know what, you don't actually have to do that just because it seems like a good idea and other people might want it. You have to do what feeds you. At a very deep level, so very that was my that was my recent pivot. Very important to have people yeah. like that in our lives who who give us the the true vision, and, and you know we have that short term filter sometimes. Like this sounds like a good idea, but we really need that really gut check sometimes, and mm-hmm. and really good friends who aren't afraid <laughs> to call it like it is are, yep. are really important. What's uh what's the one most misunderstood thing about you? <laughs> Uh, I get a lot of misunderstanding about what it is that I do, that I actually do in the world. Because some people, because, uh, you know, I'm like a lot of us, I'm a, I'm a multi-hyphenate. You know, we do a lot of things and we have a lot of interest. So people, some people come away and they're like, well, she's a therapist. And other people are like, well, she, you know, helps businesses. And so I have to get remember to get really clear and tell people, you know, I can launch businesses, I launch podcasts, and I launch audiobooks. And that's what, like, we got to keep that in there. <laughs> yep. uh, touching on the books, you mentioned you love books. Can you mention uh, a couple that you're reading now? Or that, you're, oh, that, or that you would I recommend? Actually, yeah, I actually just finished listening to the audiobook version of Amy Schumer's book, uh, memoir, um, uh, Girl with the Lower Back Tattoo. And it was so good. It was so good. I mean, we're, you know, of a similar age. She's a little younger than me. But the story is, and um, it's not like her stand-up. You know, it really is more memoir. Some of it's funny. Some of it's serious. But it was so authentic and so well done, so personable. And I really, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I'm also uh, reading a book. I guess a lot of people give me books, obviously, as a as an audiobook producer. And uh, Justin Crane, who's a colleague of mine, gave me his book called Money, You Got This. And you, a lot of times I just skim. I really just kind of skim because I get a lot of books. But uh, as I started to skim Justin's, I went back and I went, all right, I'm reading this. <laughs> so I'm reading that one as well. That's, that one's really good as well. Very cool. We'll so those are the two most recent. We'll include both of, both of those in the show notes. Um, so how are you doing with your uh, your vision that's going to take you a lifetime to fulfill? Oh, geez. 10,000 thriving businesses. Yes. Yeah, actually, you know what? I, I think it's good. People ask me, well, how are you quantifying that? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> No need to get into the details if there. I, if I were that analytical of a person, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Yeah. That that's that's really the long and short of it. I understand that. I can I quantify it? Yes, I can. But the truth is that we don't really know the long term impact that we have on people. We don't know that how they're how we're going to affect them. Much like in our podcast, someone getting that call from someone who's saying, Hey, I was I was thinking about harming myself. We don't know that that's not our intention necessarily yeah. most of the time when we're making a show 
you know, so or somebody whose child has died being comforted and held by their community. So I trust that the ripple effect when we are doing the best we can and we're doing work that we love and getting paid for it. Thank you very much. The long term effect of that is really what I'm after. It's people living in integrity and authenticity now, like we're doing what we love And we're bringing that back to our community. Like I'm striving to raise my kids in that environment where when I say to them, you know, you can do what you love and make a great living at it, then I'm actually speaking the truth when I say that. So if they grow up with that kind of embedded, like that's their, that's their belief system, then that is, that can't fail, but to have an impact down the road. Right. Podcasting is a long tail game, as we say. So is parenting. <laughs> and so is life. So, um, you know, I'm not a magic bullet kind of gal. I'm willing to work at things and make things work and experiment and be curious and bring a sense of bring that sense of freshness and wonder to things. Um, and that's not something I'm willing to get jaded about. I'm sure there's a lot of parents who wish they could do parenting in seasons. God, right? That would be great. Season one: How to get your kids to clean your room. And then, take, and then I need to take a break, like in podcast. And then, okay, we're gonna take six months break. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tina, thanks so much for making the time to come on. Um, it was a pleasure to uh, connect with you at, at Podfest. I know we were chatting before, and then you could put a face to the name. Uh, your energy and enthusiasm was highly infectious, and I'm sure it's a, a part as to it's a, it's a reason why that 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 conference was such a success. And I think it speaks to the ability of Chris and Katie Kremitzos to bring uh, like-minded people together. So it's been an an honor to get to know you and even to chat with you further here. Oh, you too, Harry. It was such a pleasure to meet you in person at PodFest. And and yeah, you're absolutely like Chris and Katie are just absolutely extraordinary. And I'm grateful for the space that they create for folks like us to put our uh, voices to faces to names, as it were. And thank you so much for having me today. This is awesome. So the website is startsomethingcreativebizsolutions.com, and I always give you grief about the world's longest URL. <laughs> yes, exactly. We can give people a shorter one if you want. They can just go to the startsomethingshow.com. Yeah. It'll take them to the same spot. And where else? What's where are you most active online for people to get in touch with you? I tend to be most active on on Facebook. If uh, you want to reach out on Facebook, I'm I'm there generally at least a couple of times a day. But um, LinkedIn and Twitter and all that good stuff, I'm around on those as well. So because I'm curious. Yes. Thanks again for your time. Hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks, Harry, you too. Hope you enjoyed that inspiring conversation with Miss Tina. She is just an interesting mix of um, energy and intelligence, and you can tell that she was made to do this. Um, And even at times it felt like a coaching session for me because she just makes it seem so seamless and, you know, she's easy to talk to. And she has that sense of of where to guide the conversation and and what you might need help with and i imagine that's why it's a testament to her um and why she's been able to to have success with the start something start something business um really is uh breakthrough breakthrough coaching consulting that i think um would be helpful for someone who needs that. And so if that's interest uh, to you, make sure you check out her site, startsomethingcreativebizsolutions.com. Um, we'll have all the links available in the show as in the show notes as well. Thanks again for our sponsors uh, supporting the show, 
podbean.com slash podcast junkies and sure at uh, podcast junkies.com slash sure. Music is provided by Cedar and Soil. Check out his fantastic music, cedarsoil.com. I also want to take a couple of minutes to shout out a new partner that I'm working with. It's the Planted in Miami team, and you'll probably recognize them as the guests on uh, 123. So Alex and Jeanette also uh, have a slew of services that they can help folks out with, podcast services, photography services, videography, social media consulting, and uh, they're available for speaking engagements as well. So just a quick shout out. I've been really happy with them. And uh, it's just really fun to have a partner that gets your vibe, uh, that gets you, your your mojo. And um, we've developed a, a, a friendship and a partnership really quickly. And I just wanted to give them a shout. For more information on them, head on over to plantedinmiami.com and they have a tab there. It's work with us. You can click on that. We are a member of Podcastica, a cornucopia of podcasting tastiness. I think that was the tagline that Jason used. I love that one. (laughs) It's very quirky, like the shows, uh, like us, like the shows on the Podcastica network. If uh, you made it this far, you're waiting for the retention hashtag. And we're going to go with uh, hashtag start something. And tag myself, podcast underscore junkies. And Tina, she's at the superstarter, one word, the superstarter. That's her Twitter handle. Next week, we have a conversation with another Tina, Tina Conroy. We met at um, PodFest. And what's interesting about Tina is that she is um, an intuitive. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to tune in because it, it touches on this other side of me that's the spiritual side. So this 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 swing back and forth between the right brain, left brain conversations is really, really making um, making me happy and uh, motivating me because I like that it's well-rounded. And I think um, if I tell you that I decided to have her on the show by virtue of one introduction made by Katie Kremitzos on the line to get food, um, and that was enough because I just felt that it was the right thing to do. And I know it sounds a little strange, but uh, you'll you'll know by the conversation that it, exactly what I'm talking about. And I know you're going to love that one as well. If you have not joined our private Facebook group, it's Podcast Junkies. Junkies, search for it on Facebook. I'm adding a lot more content there, videos, uh, shout outs to uh, our, our family there. And I just want to get the conversation a bit going a bit more, getting the the previous guests in there to engage on their episodes and whatever else I feel like doing at the time. So it's fun. You should join and check it out. Thanks again for all your support. I love and appreciate you guys and we will talk soon.